Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. In the first half of this show, you're going to listen to Mel Kanarek, director of Sheffield Digital, talk to Tom Wolfenden, who's the centre manager at Sheffield Technology Parks. They had a chat about workspaces in general in Sheffield, but also about the history of the technology parks and the recently launched and opened uh, Cooper Lounge, which is part of the Cooper Project. It's an exciting new opportunity for uh, startups and uh, people working on exciting digital stuff in the city. In part two, we head on over to Birchnell Howden to record our updates, and we're joined by uh, Chris and me. I was there for both, but, you know, I didn't talk much at first. And um, and you'll be able to uh, find out what's been going on in the city. And the answer is quite a lot. You also have a lovely diversion where uh, Mel and Chris talk about innovation theory. So get yourselves excited for that too. I should also say that um, we put chapters in this show as well. I don't know if you know that, but it means if you listen in a podcast app, something like Overcast or Pocket Casts, that kind of thing, then you can just skip quite easily forwards and backwards between the different parts of the show, which uh, can be quite handy. That's it. Enjoy. Well, thanks a lot for joining us for this chat, Tom. It's really good to see you. Um, I thought we'd start just by asking you a little about yourself and your background for people in the city who maybe don't know you. Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Tom Wolfenden. Uh, I'm now manager of Sheffield Technology Parks. I was formerly manager of the workstation as well for five years. Um, and across those five years, we, we developed both properties and we made them both full and great places to work from. Um, and then I left in October last year to just concentrate on the technology parks. The Sheffield Technology Parks is a building on Arundel Street, for people who don't know it. It's the long um, brick building with arched windows. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the building, but also about the organisation? <laughs> so Sheffield Technology Parks was opened in the late 80s as part of the economic development um, of the city. So the council gave us the building on a peppercorn lease. Uh, we're a non-profit organisation set up to operate that building. Uh, and as part of that lease, we have a remit to help businesses start and grow. Um, the idea being we incubate them, nurture them, and then hopefully they can expand internally, but then they also go out into the wider city and just boost the economy that way. So we've been doing it 30 years, and in that time we've seen quite a few big names come through, such as Genic, who then got bought out by NXP. Um, Razor came here after they um, came out of technophobia, and now they're a big agency down at the workstation. So we've seen that pattern kind of come, come and go throughout the time, throughout the past few years. What sort of businesses have you got in here? Are they all software companies, or are there different kinds of things? So this is where my new challenge comes from really because when I was brought in five years ago both buildings were fairly empty and we needed to build them to be financially viable and now they are I'm trying to retrofit the incubator model back onto the tech parks um, so there's a few companies in the technology parks at the moment that might not be categorized as full tech but we have a mixture of hardware and uh, kind of things and um, 3d printers and consultants and a big amount of software and web and graphics, um, as well as the odd construction firm and film company and you know these kind of uh, other people thrown in. But 90% of the occupiers we have are technology-based. And is it your aim to keep it that way or, or, or really focus it that way and gradually lose the construction companies and people like that? Oh, we, we always think a, a good mix of different companies helps a place like this thrive. Um, if there's 50 web developers all sat next to each other, it gets a bit boring. <laughs> Don't let the web developers do you say that. <laughs> so... Um, this new space, which we're actually sitting in now to do the interview. So we're in the meeting room, which is a lovely room. It's got exposed brick on one wall. It's got a glass wall. It's all soundproofed. Um, we'll post some pictures, but it's really nice. And it's part of the overall space. What sort of inspired you to do this kind of upgrade now? Well, again, over the past few years, we've been really lucky with the customers we've got through and the staff we've had working here. We've managed to make a really good reputation for ourselves. Um, and it got to a point where it felt a bit 1980s. You know, it was a great fit out at the time. But a lot of the original features that now you'd want to expose had been boarded over and concealed and made into small cupboards and things. Um, 
And we don't have a communal space. So there's four key ambitions for the new space. Uh, the, one of which is having somewhere for our clients to go and get a coffee and sit and meet each other because that was just never uh, an opportunity before. Um, so we stripped it all back. We've, we've invested quite a lot of money, but I'm, I'm sure people will agree that it's worth it. You know, mm-hmm. And we'll see meeting rooms um, being used and external people coming in. We've already had a couple of meetups use it and we've got a couple of startups starting in here. So it's starting to feel like that proper hub that it needs to be. So who's who can use the space? Who can come in and, and park themselves here? Well, all of our clients. So if you've got an office here, you can use it as that common area or that third space um, that isn't the office or isn't Tampa Coffee. Um, uh, the Cooper Lounge, as we've called it, is going to be home to the Cooper Project, which is something a bit, a bit more uh, incubator-like. And it's just a concentration on us being a point of start for people so they can start the journey here um, we haven't got space for many people so we're looking to get people in work out whether the idea is going to work or not um, fail fast and if it starts to succeed we can help you move into other places around the city or into one of our offices locally um, and it's really just plugging in with all the other business support that's happening in the city rather than replicating it we're just trying to work with people so if someone is working on a startup or, or thinking about getting something off the ground and they wanted to come and base themselves here what kind of support would they get apart from just a place to work and a bit of a community to plug into? Well, what we're planning is to work with uh, Business Sheffield and the growth advice team at the LEP Growth Hub, and they'll be interviewing and mentoring people that are coming through this project, as well as being locked into the network that we've got. So I see part of the issue for startups is space. You know, we've talked about that for a long time. Where can a startup go that doesn't cost the earth? and you don't feel obliged to buy coffee every 15, 20 minutes. Um, So we can take that headache away. And then the next thing is, how do you know people? How do you get to meet people? Now, Sheffield Digital's done a huge amount of work in connecting people doing that. But hopefully being a physical connection and a physical network will help people a bit more. Um, And then it's access to the rest of the stuff that's there already, but it's delivered in a space where you can call home. (laughs) And kind of if you think about, say, in a year's time, what would be your vision for what would be happening here? Um, that's a good question. In uh, I would like to see, we've got several metrics um, of the space, and I'll bore you with those because I've got them in front of me. <laughs> um, but it's basic in- incubator metrics. So it's, you know, um, how many startups have we seen happen? How many, how many businesses have we helped grow um, how much funding have they, have they been able to access? How many people are they employing? Um, how many jobs, you know, job generation, all those kind of basics, um, basic incubator metrics. Um, but personally for the space, I'd like to see it just become that hub for our clients because I know there's lots of interesting bi- people in here and, and in the surrounding area. They can just come and get coffee and sit and talk and do stuff together. Um, so that's a big one for me. Mm. So um, I'm certainly going to be hanging around here a lot because it's a really nice space. And I really love the idea of people just being able to come in and find like-minded people to chat to or someone they can ask a question of. And I think it's interesting when we talk about startup support, sometimes it's very rigid. Like you have to go on this, you have to join this program at a certain time mm. and then you have to do it for, you know, this many weeks and you have to go to these sorts of um talks and you know do your pitch and all that kind of thing and then at the end of it bang it's over and off you go and it sounds to me more like you're trying to build something that's more flexible and has some continuity to it so that people can just drop in and out and and be part of it as they go along is that sort of way yeah there's several kind of startup uh, models that you can adopt and we're trying to do a bit of a hybrid so like i say it's a space it will have workshops on offer now they're not necessarily compulsory um, we will expect people to be working on their business rather than just coming in and kind of enjoying the space. Um, and we, we have to, because we, the, the space and the places we've got for startups is free, we have to time limit that. Mm. But that's not necessarily meaning at month six you just fall off a cliff. Like some accelerators just have to let you go because that's their model. You know, they've got the funding to do that. You've pushed through that. And then at the end of it, you decide to kind of carry on and all fail mm. um, what we're trying to look for is moving people on and managing that growth 
out of here into somewhere else, whether that's in the city centre or um, another workspace somewhere mm. else. And one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about moving somewhere else is Collider. So what's your understanding of where that's at and, and how that will fit in? So the Castle House project, um, the Sheffield Tech Hub that Collider have got the tender for, um, is more or less exactly the remit that we were founded with. So it makes sense for us to try and work with them. Um, so we're building up what the uh, business model and what they fit out and what the kind of service level is. because. What we found when we've moved people out of places before, moving to the workstation was great because that was under my management and you, the service is more or less the same, price points were very similar. We've moved people out to other places and it's been completely different and they've not really reacted well to that experience and they've found it difficult to trade from there. Um, so it's good to be part of, um, it's, well, it's good to be, it's good to try and help Collider build a similar service level to these kind of buildings so that there's a baseline for the city really. Mm. Um, so their Castle House project is going to be open at the hopefully at the end of 2018. Um, they've got an interim space coming on stream in the next few weeks and they'll be um, releasing some information about that but again we're just helping with the operations and assembling the furniture and getting the kind of toilets cleaned and things just so they can open on time. Uh-huh. So it's there's obviously a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to manage a workspace like this. I'd be interested to know a bit more about that. And and is that a service that you're providing to the city or to to other people in the city? Yeah, I mean, and anyone that's been in a managed workspace, they've got to consider it like a hotel, really. So you come with your computers and your team and your ideas and your business, and we take care of everything else. So it's it's all the phones and the broadband and the cleaning and the coffee and the lighting and the heating. You don't need to get a separate contract. You don't need to be on the phone to Empower working out how much your electricity costs. Um, and yes, it's a bit more expensive than a leasehold space, but we're only small. You know, our biggest unit is 1,200 square feet. Um, so the idea is you you completely looked after until you're a bit bigger. And by the time you're a bit bigger, you probably need an office manager or someone like that that can deal with your kind of day-to-day office things. Um, a typical day for us is moving desks. We, we had a scrap metal collection today. Uh, I had to go and nick some desks from the workstation because someone's moving in on Friday. And it's, you know, no two days are the same, really. So it's a nice mix of operational uh, kind of doing and sitting at this kind of strategic city economic development level. Mm. So there's conversations at all levels of the spectrum, really. Yeah. And what what do you think about the workspace scene in the city in general, particularly for digital and tech businesses? Um, the, uh, having been in two of the biggest ones for the for a long time, it's it's nice to see everything thriving, um, but. You know, someone like me with a remit of filling a building with good firms, once you've succeeded and you're managing that building at 100%, there suddenly comes a problem where people can't expand um, or even can't contract. So you're suddenly losing people to these kind of out-of-town office parks. You see them out near Meadow Hall or down on uh, down near the Broadfield. You know, there's all this kind of... And they're fine. You know, they're, they're kind of middle-of-the-road, detached office blocks on some kind of retail park and the bat van comes at 11 o'clock and, you know, it's it's just fine. But to be part of a city centre network of workspace is really important. So we need more. Um, There's 80,000 square feet coming on at Castle House, which is going to be absolutely incredible. Um, But already in early discussions, it looks like relatively quickly that could fill up um, in in, the first few years. So it's... (laughs) A lot of people look to the council and there is a council involvement, but there has to be the kind of developer and um, town planning and operators. We need some foresight in the city and some cohesion about what's next. So Mm. post Castle House and then, you know, we've got the new retail quarter um, or heart of the city coming on. There's loads of office space there. Do we make some provision for tech there as well? Do we start those conversations with Queensbury early on? Um, so all these things are happening mm-hmm. um, and it feels like talking 10 years into the future is a long time but it's soon coming out it's really not yeah mm. yeah so is that something that you do is is raise these questions in the appropriate places yeah so you know really informal chats but I've spoken to Queensbury about, Queensbury about the need for serviced or semi-serviced space because again leasehold you know huge floor plates and leasehold buildings 
aren't what our tech firms need. You know, they need that interim space. They might not need a fully serviced offer, but they still need broadband and lighting and cleaning and things like that. Mm. Um, but they might want to buy their own furniture or have it made or they want to fit it out themselves, which is absolutely fine. Um, so it's a new kind of flexibility that's coming into the developer developer's mindset, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you've got a couple of meetups already using the space. How, how big a meetup can you accommodate here? Um, I laid it out last night for about 30. Uh-huh. Um, and that was just with chairs scattered around. Last night we had... You can cut this pause while I find it. Um, Front-end Sheffield. We did have Front-end Sheffield, yeah. So last night we had Front-end Sheffield here, who are normally up at Hallam, but because of the Easter holidays couldn't get in. Yeah. Um, and it was great to have them here. You know, it was, it was fairly full, and I don't think we could have fitted many more in, uh, and Hallam's a far better space for them. But for smaller meetups, it might be, uh, it might be worth them come and try it. Um, we don't make a charge for it. We're part, part of our four principles. Well, I'll tell you what the four principles are. So I mentioned earlier that it was somewhere for businesses to come and meet each other. So that's clients and new businesses. Um, it's a space for our occupiers to work on their business. So to develop the business rather than just doing the business. Um, and it's a space for community meetups to come and mm-hmm. grow and you know use it. So if you've got a small Startup meetup, and you want to come along, that's yeah. absolutely fine. So, you could in- incubate your meetup, hopefully, and then yeah, when yeah, you get yeah. bigger, you'll have to go move somewhere else. To bigger spaces, <laughs> yeah. which uh, you know are, are around and about. And again, hopefully, when Castle House is opened up, there's supposed to be much larger meetup huge space, event in there. space. Yeah. huge event space there. Yeah. So, that will be really exciting. Mm. And this interim space that you mentioned, I know you can't say too much in advance of an official, but. Is that just going to be working space or will there be some event space there? Do you know? I don't know. Mm. I think there's going to be enough space to do stuff in there. It just depends how full their projects that are going to be based there yeah. fill the space. Yeah. Uh, so it's a 4,000 square foot space. So it's fairly limited. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We'll have to see. We'll wait. Okay. I just wanted to circle back when we were talking about support for startups and you talked about how you'd bring in, you know, existing provision from Business Sheffield and and the Growth Hub and those kinds of things. But it feels to me like there might be other things that should be happening as well as that. Did you have any thoughts on what else you could do here? What we're trying to do is not be prescriptive. So as we said, the challenge with an accelerator is you meet these people and you do these workshops over a course of 12 or 16 weeks and then you're kind of off. What we're trying to get is a a new cohort of businesses, maybe six or eight businesses, and sit around the table and say, these are the kind of things we can get. Do you want an investor to come and speak to you? Do you need access to finance? Do you need uh, help with building a team? All those things. And if if only one person needs one of the workshops, can kind of send them off to where it's been delivered somewhere else. If three or four of them um, deem it, like fairly fundamental to their business and their growth, then we can absolutely get people in. So we're just going to wait and see the types of businesses and types of need, and then we can react to that. That sounds really good. So it becomes a much more bespoke sort of program. And then if if you decide, you know, if everyone who's here around the table says, oh, we really, we'd really like to sit down and meet some investors. And so then you think, okay, we'll put an investor event on. Would that then be open to other people as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no exclusivity about it apart from the limited space. So if we could fit 20 startups, we would. It's just we've literally got space for six or six or eight. So mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, Laura Bennett put on her investor lounge with Capital Enterprise the other week. All our startups should have been at that if if we had them. And um, if we had startups and that kind of thing could come down here, then absolutely people, yeah. other people are able to come. Excellent. So it'd be really interesting to see how that all shapes up. So if um, someone needs to get in touch with you, either because they'd like to come and start their startup here or they want to use the space for a meeting or they want to do a startup meetup here yeah what's what's the best way to get in touch so the if you need a meeting room if you just want to come and experience the space and you need somewhere good in the city center uh you just go to our website which is cheftechparks.com and uh, you can see all the information there there's also information about the cooper project on there which is the um the residency uh, and if you want to apply or just, well, it's not really an application, it's more of a cup of coffee and a chat about what you're doing and how we could help, uh, that's just cooperproject at cheftechparks.com and I'll pick that email up. That's great. And if 
they want to hold a meet up here same email um no just email me so that's tom at cheftechparks.com and then we can work out what you need and how we can help fantastic thanks very much no thank you so here we are transported back to our usual haunt Birchnell Howden um and uh, I'm here with Chris. Chris has joined Mel and me. Hurrah! I was there for the for the interview with Tom that you just listened to, but I didn't say anything, so that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> but you were there doing the technical stuff, which was really important. Very, so. very technical. Very technical. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do our usual roundup of stuff that's happened or is happening. Um, and the first thing we're going to talk about is the Sheffield College apprenticeships and progress with that. Okay, so you've heard me talk about this a lot. This is the plans at Sheffield College to introduce a level four software developer apprenticeship. So level four is kind of halfway between A-levels and university. It's kind of like foundation year sort of thing. Um, But the plans are going really well. And what's been very good about this is that the college have engaged with employers early on in terms of how the course should be structured, what should be taught, uh, what kind of support do employers need, how should the recruitment process work, all those kinds of things. So the plans are on track to introduce the apprenticeships in September. And we're now at the point with the college where final details are being pinned down. Um, And that couldn't have happened without the involvement of employers. So there are a bunch of companies who've been coming along to these regular roundtables just to hear about uh, where the college has got to in its plans and to feed back on that. And there'll be another one of those roundtables on the 26th of April from 4 until about 6 p.m. at the Silver Plate Restaurant at the college's city centre building. Um, So if you've been coming to these events before, you will have had an email from me giving you the date and asking you to RSVP. But I'd still really love it if there are other employers out there who'd like to be involved, who'd like to find out a bit more about what's involved in having an apprentice at that level, what kind of support is available to you and how everything's being structured, then by all means, come along. Um, Just get in touch with me and let me know that you'd like to come along and I'll add you onto the list. So just the usual email, which is mel at sheffield.digital. And what what will a company potentially do at this stage because we're it's obviously it's been going on for a few months so what, what what contribution could someone make at this point well they're still pinning down um the details of how the curriculum is going to be covered they're looking at things like um which particular qualification should the students work towards because they have to get a qualification from a list that's provided by the government. So there's some discussion around that. We're having a lot of discussion around the idea of doing a two-week boot camp before the actual apprenticeship starts, which is an opportunity for the students who are interested in doing the apprenticeship to uh, have a go at some stuff and find out if it's really for them and to work alongside some employers. It means that the college can get all the apprentices to the same kind of basic starting level because they will be coming with different levels of experience and uh, training. But also it's a great opportunity for employers to kind of check out the candidates in advance and think about who they might like to recruit and look for a a good match. Um, The other thing is that there's an opportunity for employers to feed into the whole process of how, how are potential candidates going to be found. So the college is very good at marketing apprenticeships and and getting people onto them, but employers might have other ideas of other sorts of people that they'd like to attract. Um, And then there's also opportunities to ask questions about the nuts and bolts of, you know, how does it work? What's the funding? What are the costs? What are my responsibilities as an employer? What support is available to me from the college? And there's a lot. So the college knows how to make apprentices, apprenticeships as stress-free as possible for employers. So plenty of things to get involved in still. Has there been any um, like user testing? That's not quite the right phrase for this, but like user testing with the students or potential students to ask them what might get them excited? Not that I'm aware of, and I think that's a really interesting point. Has the college started recruitment yet? No, I think the plan is to start recruitment in sort of May, June time. So you've got no idea of what the uptake might be or how what the demand is no not yet all right it's gonna be good yep to see mvp time (laughs) okay great well get involved with that um so that was mel 
at sheffield.digital. That's the email address if you want to get involved. Um, uh, North Coders update is what it says here. Uh, North Coders, of course, an, an associate sponsor. Absolutely. So, so North Coders are based in Manchester, and uh, they're an organisation that runs kind of twelve-week uh, become a software developer courses. They are very highly regarded in Manchester and have a great deal of success in um, putting people through some intensive training and then putting them into jobs. Uh, they became an associate. Of a sponsor of Sheffield Digital because they want to raise their profile in Sheffield and ultimately deliver one of their programs here, which I think will be excellent. But they got in touch with me this week because they have two people who are currently on the course who will be graduating soon, but who are from Sheffield and would really like to work in Sheffield. So North Coders want to hear from employers who will be interested in offering a role to these uh, graduate software developers from their course. I don't have a lot more information from that, but I do have all the contact details at North Coders. So if there's anyone listening who thinks, actually, we've got a role that might be really well filled that way, then again, get in touch with me and I'll make the necessary links. Fantastic. And we have an upcoming uh, election. They're always exciting. Can't get enough elections these days, can we? (laughs) Um, Sheffield City Region Mayor. Yeah, how much trolling activity has there been on this? <laughs> I haven't checked the feeds. Oh, <laughs> I don't think it's that bad yet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay, so we're going to have a mayoral election yeah, in May. the Se- Sheffield City region. That's right. And uh, why should it, we care about this? Mm. Because once we have a mayor for the region we will be able to finally pull down some of the money that was promised to us through devolution which the region hasn't been able to get its hands on because we haven't had a mayor so we haven't had a devolution deal who's us uh so us is sheffield rotherham barnsley doncaster okay um that's who the mayor will represent yeah Yes. I mean, it's not quite the Sheffield City region as it was originally defined. It's more like the combined authority. Yeah, Yeah. the combined authority. And the the devolution deal that that, um, the combined authority signed with government was dependent on the mayoral election, which was supposed to happen last year. Um, And so the devolution deal can't go into action until the mayor has been elected. Mm. Um, But that devolution deal, as well as giving the region or the combined authority um control over um you know a bunch of budgets and spending that um formerly or currently uh are under central government's remit um it also includes the 30 million pound a year extra funding from central government which basically is what this is about like mm. what you know we, we've already missed out we've essentially missed out on two years worth of that 30 million so we've lost 60 million quid in um, discretionary funding. I mean, it's for the for the create for the um, combined authority to, to distribute, and the mayor, um, you know, mm-hmm. to make, presumably make the final decision over that. I mean, they don't have any powers, but I I believe that he, the mayor will have control over that that budget. That's my understanding as well, and I think the the thing that's important is I can imagine a situation where the turnout will be really low because the actual list of candidates doesn't get announced until the 9th of April. And then they've got less, I think, four weeks to do their campaigning and raise their profile of something that most people just really aren't aware of. No, I don't think many people understand what's underlying it. So, I'm not sure I would know about it if it wasn't for the fact that I, I was doing this, and I yeah. was I'd kind of you know there's been talk of it on. I, the I wrote an article two years ago about what devolution means to the local digital economy, mm. which is a good place to go to understand what's behind devolution, why why is devolution even on the agenda, um, and what the devolution deal is in Sheffield, and what what that kind of means. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Excellent. So if you imagine a situation where turnout is going to be really low, um, people, if they do vote, will most likely vote for along their party party lines. lines. Um, And this is an opportunity for business people. 
in the city to make a bit of a statement about who they think should be the custodian of this significant budget and making sure that it gets spent on the sorts of things that will grow our economy. That's what that money should be used for. Um, that's what the local enterprise partnership should be about, is growing the regional economy for the good of everybody who lives and works here. So, please, you know, I, w- I would urge everybody to take a little bit of time and look at who the candidates are and, uh, you know, see if they are saying anything about the economy. I'm really hoping we'll have an opportunity, if we can pull it off, to get at least some of the candidates in a room and ask them about digital and talk to them about digital, mm. talk to them about what we bring to the regional economy, the value that we create, the jobs that we create, yeah. what we need in order, you know, to continue to grow. Um, and I'm especially passionate about this because I don't live in uh, Sheffield, so I don't get a vote, but I work here and I work with businesses here and this could be an opportunity to get our agenda out there and get people paying attention to it and maybe even get some budget to spend on the things we think need investment. Yeah. Great. Okay. And um, next we have the uh, Smart City internet of things hackathons which we posted about on the website just this week yes yeah um so so this is a um a series of events that have come out of the sheffield things network um which i think i've I've described this on the podcast before but it's um it's a community owned um iot network um that uh you know that there are lots of communities around the world that are building these networks. So basically it's another way of having devices communicate with each other and communicate back to base um, rather than Wi-Fi or 4 or 5G or, or you know, wired connections. Um, so, so there are these um, very low bandwidth, very low energy networks that will um, very soon cover the city. Um, so by the end of April, um, we're hoping that we, that we should have four or five gateways out in the out in the city, um, all able to receive information and pass information to other devices out in the um, in the environment. So the um, Roy Woodhead um, from Sheffield University, uh, sorry, from Sheffield Hallam, um, has. Um, partnered with Sheffield Hardware Hackers and Makers who run the Sheffield Hack Space at Portland Works um, to run a series of hackathons or hacks, um, one, one a month on a Sunday from 11 till 4 p.m. Um, to get people creating applications for this network. Um, so uh, if you look at the, the blog post on the Sheffield Digital website, it kind of explains what it's about. Um, you'll see the banner is like a little model bird that's perched on someone's railing. Um, that's actually, it's a thing called an Alora bird, um, which is developed by the Things Network community in Arnhem in, um, in Holland. Um, and it's a, it's a, um, air quality monitor. So there's a little sensor inside that measures air quality, uh, and it's got everything it needs to communicate, um, back. Uh, and so people involved in the community in Arnhem just, just built, made them and, you know, people painted them and put them on their houses and they, they run off batteries and they run for, you know, six months to, to a year. Um, and that allowed them to collect a whole load of data about um, air quality across the city, which was a much finer grain than um, the you know, official data that existed. So it, it basically puts the ability to, to measure the environment and do a whole load of other things. I mean, there's just endless things that people can do with this kind of thing. Um, it puts the, it puts you know, the ability to do that and to gather information about your own environment in the hands of citizens rather than companies and, and, uh, public sector organizations. And it's very cheap. I mean, this, this stuff is really cheap. Uh, the, the guys at Sheffield Hardware Hackers and Makers reckon, um, that they could, that they found a way of building, um, um, a gateway for less than 120 quid, I think. And each, each gateway, um, can connect up to 20,000 devices. Um, uh, over a distance of, well, in, in a city, probably a couple of miles. Um, but uh, I think the, the record is something over a 150-mile range on these things. So it's unbelievable, amazing technology, really, how this stuff works. But. What, what sort of person might want to come to this? Is it usually someone 
like developers or can anyone with any yeah i mean idea? it's intended it's intended for people to with you know very little or no skills um so i mean sheffield hackspace is very inclusive and if you want to learn and find out how to do stuff there's people there that, that can take you through it if you're an ideas person you. if you're an ideas person if you've got you know if we're just interested in trying to understand what this amazing technology is about it's one of those things that happens in tech you know, every so often where a new technology comes along and it's right at the right at the early stages and anyone can learn it, anyone can pick it up. It's like HTML was, you know, back in the early 90s, you know, it's like you, you can be an expert within three months of messing about with this stuff because like no, you know, there's, there's literally hardly anyone who knows how to do this. So, so even people, I mean, we, you know, we have meetings around the Things Network. We've kind of been trying to get this community together and, and, and collaborating for about a year. And there's lots of people that have lots of experience of other, other areas, but none about this. And everybody's asking stupid questions. Even the most experienced people are asking the dumbest questions about stuff still. So it's a good time to get involved if you have any interest in, in this. And, you know, it's not, and it's not just a measurement technology either. You can put actuators on it so you can, you can instruct things to happen out in the environment as well as just monitoring it. And the first one is on the 15th. Uh, yeah, the first hacks on the Sunday, the fifteenth. Um, there's also a meeting of the Things Network uh, the day after. Are they always on a Sunday? They will always be on a Sunday, one a month, always around mid month. There isn't. There's, there's not going to be one in August. So I think the last one of this series is September. Um, if the demand's high and people are into it, and um, people, you know, Hackspace are happy, we'll run more. Okay, um, but these are the ones that are scheduled so far. Great. Um, and then we've got finally economy dot shv. <laughs> Say that again. Shv. <laughs> yep. Chef. It's chef. It's totally chef. chef. <laughs> Don't need vowels anymore. Do <laughs> vowels are so last year. It's useless. Yeah. This is part of dot chef, isn't it? It um, is. Which we talked about and we had the conference about six months ago. So dot chef is the. Um, it's the coalition, um, the digital coalition in Sheffield. So um, the economy.chef is the part of the coalition that's about the economy, digital economy and digitization of the wider economy and everything that relates to that. Mm. Um, and there, there are other groups being formed uh, around the other domains within the .chef model. Um, I know um, Mark Gannon at the council is looking to allocate funding to get a full-time coordinator to drive the dot chef program which would be fantastic um and um it the program has been nominated for a digital leader award this year as well which is which is great as well mm. um so the the one area of dot chef that is maybe more active than the others currently is the economy bit and yeah i'm about it last week. i don't really know if there are other groups meeting yet um i mean the economy one is is the one that yeah, that actually I'm has a group in, around and, 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 and people group, meeting. Yeah, yeah. Others, there are individuals that are kind of, you know, tasked with bringing activity together. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the group is meeting kind of every couple of months and it's a mixture of people from the universities, people from the local authority, uh, business people, um, people from the AMRC, uh people from Barnsley come which I think is really good mm. so it's not you know not completely hard and fast about city boundaries which I think is so important um, and yeah the agenda at the moment it seems to be serving very much as an opportunity for people to catch up with each other and find out what's going on and we know from experience that that's really valuable yeah. and people need that um, the hope is that it will also start to move towards things happening but we had two really interesting briefings at the meeting last week the first was from um, a guy called Simon Ogden who is going to be the project director for Castle Gate so that's the whole area around Castle House so it's not just about uh, you know Castle House and, and Collider and that kind of thing it's about rejuvenating that whole area of the city and connecting it better to the rest of the city and to the canal side and to, to the riverside as well. Sheffield's Old Town, as they've started Sheffield's calling. Old Town, which I think is really nice. So Simon was telling us about um, the plans to uh, uncover the heritage of uh, and the history of Sheffield Castle, which a lot of people 
don't really know about, but it was a major, major castle back in the day. And apparently Mary, Queen of Scots, spent more time there than anywhere else when Queen Elizabeth was incarcerating her in various castles around the country. Um, So there will be archaeologists on site this summer, apparently, starting a dig. And they have talked about creating some sort of AR visualisation to help uh, interpret what's going on on the site. They're also talking about developing this kind of pier uh, or or bridge or something above the excavation site so that you can walk over and see what they're doing and, and start to understand a little bit about what's going on there. But they're also um, got all kinds of good ideas about um, creating meanwhile spaces with shipping containers, um, trying to make the place somewhere where people go to experiment and to innovate. Um, They're going to deculvert part of the river sheaf um, and reveal the Megatron, which sounds, it's just lovely, sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie. So um, at some point there will be a project with the Environment Agency to reveal the Megatron. Chris is going to tell you what that is. I was going to say, I think we should probably explain what the Megatron (laughs) is. No, I think it should be a secret. People can look it up. It's, It's a bit of a Sheffield... It's a Sheffield thing. thing. Yeah, there's some great photos. Yeah. Um, but similar to the work that they did with Porterbrook um, by Matilda, Matilda Street, mm-hmm. um, they're going to extend the uh, what's called the grey to green, mm-hmm. which is if you, if you walk around by the um, law courts and uh, West Bar and that part of the city, and you'll see how they've created a lot more pedestrian spots pedestrianised space and uh, more greenery and tried to create a a flow through that isn't about cars, it's about people. So it's pedestrianised and bikes and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They're talking about extending that into Pond Square and making a nicer link between Victoria Keys and Castlegate. So we don't have this awful thing where we've got this asset, which is the canal basin, but nobody uses it because it feels so totally disconnected from the rest of the city. So, yeah, lots of interesting plans going on there. And um, hopefully we will start to see things happening this year. It ties into the um, Knowledge Gateway programme as well. It and does. The development work around. Absolutely. That Hallam's proposing with their master plan and the 37-storey tower at yeah. Nelson Mandela plot. Yeah, so, so you start to see all these disparate bits of the city get linked yeah. up mm. and that's well overdue. And I think will really add to the energy of the place. Um, the other presentation we heard was from Professor Vanessa Toulmin from the University of Sheffield, who was talking to us about the Creative Industries Clusters programme and a bid that is going in to um, the AHRC, which I think is the Arts and Humanities yeah. Research Council. Yeah. So this is this is the vehicle that the government is using to fund um, some projects around building up the creative industries in places outside of London. Yeah, I think there's. I think they're going to fund eight clusters, and each one has to you know, demonstrate its viability, but also you know a strong innovative program that's sectoral. Exactly. So um, Sheffield is through to stage two. So we're down to the final 20 or so of which eight will be chosen. And um, Sheffield has looked at, you know, the other places that are bidding and they've, they are very, very technology based. So Sheffield is going with a digital creative base and they're calling it future making. They're concentrating on design and publishing, where publishing includes software publishing and games publishing as well, music and performance. But I really liked what Vanessa said. She said that digital underpins everything and runs through it like a golden thread. And I think that's a really good way of describing digital's role in those sorts of creative industries. Um, And she has the the bid has some really ambitious ideas in it and um, lots of things that if they do come off are going to be really amazing for the city. Mm. Um, And uh, they have approached both Sheffield Digital and the Sheffield Creative Guild about, you know, putting a letter of support in and being partners in somewhere or another with the bid which we will certainly be doing and the creative guild will be doing as well so um i hope that there will be more to say about that in Mm. coming months 
Yeah, it'd be fantastic to get. It would be you know firmly in that overlap between the digital industry and the creative industry. Um, and the, I think there's lots of demand for it. And if uh, if anything with the with the Channel Four bid happens, then um, yeah, it's more to shout about and to congeal around that kind mm. of that overlap between the two. Yeah. And um, something else, just looking at my notes, which um, also got talked about at the economy.chef meeting was um, the University of Sheffield have won nearly five million pounds for promoting um, Internet of Things in four key areas being manufacturing, smart cities, energy systems and health and well-being. And this is being led by Professor John Clark. Um, and one of the things he mentioned was trying to get some IoT meetups happening in the Mindsphere lounge yeah. at mm-hmm. the Diamond. Um, so I don't have a lot more information on that other than the fact that a bunch of cash is flowing into the university mm. that IoT type people should be finding out about and, and reaching out, making connections with, getting involved with, so that the university doesn't just do something in isolation. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that the, the first big part of that, and I mean, we need to um, find out what else they've had funding for, mm. um, but the, the first big chunk of that is for the um, Urban Flows Observatory. Right. Which is, I think it's 2.3 million quid. Um, and that's, that's a project to basically... Um, instrument up the city to try to measure its metabolism its energy metabolism so energy in energy out so whether it's electricity heat gas um, so all of the energy inflows um, um, including um, they've kitted out a a van that's going to be driving around the city um, that is um, sensing but also um uh, looking at the building materials that the city is made of and and with thermal cameras and lidar and figuring out what the um what the uh, thermal properties are of building materials and how that changes over time all of this stuff um mm-hmm. but they've got 2.3 million quid to spend on this but it's like capital budget so it's all kit mm. so um We've been talking to them as part of the Things Network quite a lot because they've got money to, to spend on kit. Uh, and some of that money they, they're spending on um, Things Network kit. Um, and we're, we're getting some of those gateways out. But they're also going to do things like they're going to fit out the van with, um, with range monitoring sensors so we can get like a, an, an updated map of um, coverage of the Things Network Okay. Um, and some of the other networks that are running in the city. So this is this is all really excellent. The question I have is once once you've got all that kit collecting all that information, yeah. what are we gonna do with it? Oh, it's turn it after three years, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. You know, how I do mean, we build it's... businesses on this? How do we yeah, create startups exactly. on it? How do we make this work for the city? It's you know, it's fantastic to have this money flowing in, but, so, but we need to create the stuff with it. So um so let's so so the, the things network and the hackathons that I talked about earlier are part of that from yeah. a community point of view. Um Urban Flows, um they've they've initiated um this because it runs over three years they're doing uh, like a competition every year and the first competition was around sensors and they did that they started that in december um where um you know students and startups and private individuals and whoever teams um can um bid for ideas and um get three thousand quid to spend on kit to test and trial the idea and um they funded nine of those i think they had nine projects that are being tested now as a result of the first competition yeah and they'll do another one next year and another one the year after that Uh um but they're also um looking to develop long-term business solutions that, that that work with the infrastructure so part of that is working with idac who are doing the public wi-fi um but part of that is things like um you know, because they're installing reference-grade sensors in the city, um, you you know you can use that as a test bed to test your sensor products. So, if you're an electronics company that has that has created a, a 
a weather sensor or a noise monitoring device or a or an air quality sensor, uh, and you want to know how it behaves in real world um, circumstances, but referenced against something that costs ten times as much and is really accurate with known calibration and and tolerances, then then that that's what they've got. Mm. So, but how whether whether the university is able to convert the infrastructure into the business is then the question because obviously the researchers they're flat out trying to build the infrastructure and develop yeah. thing, but. You know, all of these projects have got that that line item of you know future legacy sustainability. Yeah. Um, but I think later this year, um, they'll want to engage with us to engage the business community to see how the local business community can get involved in leveraging some of this academic infrastructure into. Yeah, so that that's exactly what I was going to say is like we hear about fantastic work going on in both of the universities. We need to break down the. I don't want to say a wall, but there's like this kind of fuzzy barrier that stops that work from being exploited in whatever way is appropriate. Um, and I've, I've been thinking a lot recently about the dearth of startups in Sheffield and the dearth of startup support. And it just seems to me that there must be so many things that could be released out into the wild and experimented with and people you know have the opportunity to come up with an idea to start with I think I think the whole startup thing sometimes is so worked around you need to have an idea what about the people who've got passion who've got an itch who want to do something but don't have an idea yet yeah I totally agree you know how, how do we get them exposed to this stuff that's going on so that they can have that light bulb moment you know in the shower or in conversation with somebody and think hang on a minute because of this work that's being done and this kit that's available, maybe we could do this. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think I think there's a. I mean, this is maybe a bit philosophical, but that there's been there's been a, a narrative for quite a long time in, especially in the smart city space, um, but generally um, in in the tech industry about techno determinism and the idea that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, and especially um, with in the smart city. Um, arena or smart society or you know digitization of our spaces and um it's been very much you know uh, a move towards oh it needs to be challenge based so you know it should be challenge challenge focused innovation you know user focused challenge focused find out what people really need and develop solutions for that um which is true uh, you know absolutely technology should should serve a purpose and fulfill a need that god knows there's plenty of challenges um but at the same time, innovation doesn't always work like that. And I think, I think you know, it's important to understand innovation a bit better. Um, you know, I, I always liked um, IDEO. And I, don't, I, think, I don't think IDEO invented it, but they used it. Um, you know, this, this sort of quadrant idea of innovation where um, you've got innovation projects that are what they call paint-by-numbers projects, where you know the technology and the resources you're using and you know what you're trying to achieve and you can just go ahead and do it. So, you know, the... Yeah, the resources are known, the, the vision and direction is known, go that way. Um, but you, in, you've, you've also got a quadrant where um, you know what you're trying to achieve, but you don't know what resources you're going to need to get there. And that's challenge-driven innovation. So we know what the challenge is, we know what, what, what change we're trying to bring about, but we don't know how to do it. So we, we might be surveying a whole load of different technologies, a whole load of different methods and, and, and other experiences and case studies to figure out how best to do that here. Um, but in the, in, the, in the bottom right quadrant, if you like, um, you've got what they called... Um, um, the uh, Hollywood studio um, model of innovation where you've got a whole bunch of resources but you don't know what you're going to do with it right yeah. like an old an old Hollywood studio not nowadays that it's all fragmented but you know where you've got a bunch of writers and directors and, uh, and sound stages and props and you know all of this stuff you've got what film yeah. are you going to make so yeah. come up with a, come up with an idea that uses all of this stuff you know you've got six months of this sound stage what are you going to do with it um and, and that's kind of technology driven. So we've got this new technology. What can we do with it? How, what kinds of things is it capable of? How does it change the dynamics around where we, you know, where we can apply it? Mm. 
And that that's what a lot of these emerging technologies are really about. It's like people figuring out what they can do with it and what they can do with this you know, world-class infrastructure that the Urban Flows Observatory is creating in the city. Um, and then, of course, you've got the other, the other where you've got these things that are called foggy projects where you don't know what you're going to do and you don't know how you're going to do it. That's uh, most, of, most of my life is oh, yeah, a foggy which project. Is, <laughs> which IDEO always said was, a, was the most interesting space and you know they had a, such a reputation that, that com- companies would pay them money to do foggy style. Yeah. Um, but I remember talking to Colin Burns, who was uh, you know, one of the one of the um, lead people there years ago, and he was saying um, it's only certain people that can operate in that foggy space because mm-hmm. you're kind of without any rules. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he had people come to blows over like <laughs> deciding what to do next because you don't really know. But yeah. that, that, that's where that's that's where kind of you know your sort of high risk innovation mm. should be but you should have really have all of those things covered so. yeah so that was a really interesting digression there into the the world of uh, innovation <laughs> and, yeah. and startup but you can tell it's the sort of thing that keeps chris and i awake um i think going back to your, your point before um just quickly I mean, part of this is because all of these budgets are capital budgets, not not revenue budgets. So, mm. you know, you've got two point three million quid to spend, but you can only spend it spend it on on purchasing physical stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously, all of the academics and the and the and the research students and, and they're all they're all covered. Um, but then they need to find research grants to do specific things with. But it, it, you know, if they if they were to spend a hundred grand of that two point three million on on an an accelerator. Yeah. Right. To, yeah. to you know to use this infrastructure to, to do that technology driven innovation. You know, here's a three or four month um, accelerator using the infrastructure that we've just spent all this money on. That would be that would change the whole situation. Yeah. I think. And but they haven't got the hundred grand to spend on it. But circling back to our conversation about the mayor yeah. and the devolution well, deal and all of that, maybe that's a way to pull down the money that would create the accelerators and the ideation programs and all those things that we need that we don't have at the moment yeah maybe not directly fund them but fund the people that can pull the institutional and and commercial investors together to create a new incubator so if there are any billionaire tech entrepreneurs listening randomly to this (laughs) podcast because they stumbled upon us from their pads in silicon valley or wherever who feel like who are you thinking about that i know actually i wasn't (laughs) honestly i I was telling a random story and then realized it sounded like i was targeting someone which i am totally not but it it would be lovely to find if there's people out there who want to invest in the city uh who can bring that missing piece of the puzzle that would be awesome but I'll stop now before I dig myself into a total hole. <laughs> so, upcoming events. I'm still here, by the way. Yeah. Hi, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We needed to fill out some space. Uh, upcoming events. So, um, I'll, I'll work through them relatively quickly. The first uh, three on this list are probably in the past by the time you listen to this, but I'm going to tell you about them anyway. Uh, so, on the 10th, we have Equal Experts, an introduction to blockchain technologies, WordPress Sheffield, and Sheffield Test Gathering. Uh, they're all on the 10th of April, which is either very, very soon or in the past. Um, on the 12th of April, we've got Sheffield DevOps. Um, on the 15th of April, we have the first um, uh, hackathon, which Chris has already told us about. On the 16th is the Things Network meeting, which you sort of told us about. Yeah, it's basically the the, the Things Network community meeting to talk about you know what's going on in general. But we don't have a venue for it yet. So, but you know, watch local press for information. Indeed, sixteenth uh, to the twenty seventh uh, is the Leeds Digital Festival. Anything yep. to add to that? Uh, I would really recommend uh, for all you empowering women out there, if you can get to the Empowering Women Day conference. Um, I went to it last year and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the only reason I'm not going this year is because I've got other stuff on that day. But it was really, really good. So I'd recommend that for a day up in Leeds. Yeah, it looks like a good programme anyway. Mm. And it's, you know, less than an hour away. Um, on the 25th, we have the next Riverside uh, game night from the folks at Sumo. Um, it's been popular, I think, the first two. Mm. So I'm sure the next one will be. Oh, they're looking for developers, aren't they? That's the, 
Yeah, and if you've, if you've got a game that you want to showcase, they're always really keen to see people do that, even if it's very much work in progress, but it's a great opportunity to showcase what you're doing. Yeah. Um, on the 1st of May, it's .NET Chef, and then we uh, we want to give a, a shout-out, I think. Oh, just, yeah, remind people that it's Keep Breakfast every Friday morning, pretty much. Except next Friday, Chris won't be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm getting ribbed so much, because I'm going away again for a week. Sorry. That's right. Not sorry. It doesn't doesn't need me to be there to go ahead. People can meet and have coffee and talk about digital crap. Digital stuff. Yeah, we had really good chats this morning about all kinds of things, yeah. yeah, It was really good fun this morning. So Geek Brekkie is just anyone can turn up to Tampa from 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, usually I'm there unless I'm away. Yeah. Um, I mean, that happens a lot, but (laughs) it's... uh, it's every, every Friday morning and then it's, it's kind of an, inf- an informal uh, coffee and chat type thing. Anyone can come. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's a drop-in networking yeah. chat. Yes. So anyone who wants to come and meet other people in the, in the tech industry. And drink or, good coffee. And drink really good coffee, have a nice breakfast. Uh, so yeah, 9 till about 10.30 every Friday morning at Tampa Sellers Wheel. Great. Um, memberships. So uh, new members... Um, uh, the, since we last recorded, Objective Creative uh, Limited, who are uh, an agency. Welcome to them. Thanks for becoming members. And Rachel Furler, who's been on the on the show before, has renewed her membership. So thank you to Rachel too. Um, uh, we always always must thank our sponsors. That's uh, Erwin Mitchell, Shorts, the Sheffield College, North Coders, and Benchmark. And if you want to subscribe to the show then you can do so in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I forget what they call it these days, but you know where it is. Um, or any app that you particularly prefer to use, like Overcast or Pocket Casts. Um, you can find out more about the show at sheffield.digital slash podcast. And uh, please tell people about uh, this so that they can listen. And, and Mel's got her hand up. Please, miss. Um, actually, I wanted to give another big thank you, uh, which is to Birchnell Howden, because they let us come and use their office and all their podcast recording equipment every three weeks when we come and do this bit of the podcast. And we always forget to say thank you. So today, yeah, thank you. 